1: Bot herders round up security cameras. Medical devices are exploited by the Conficker worm. Other healthcare facilities and insurance companies suffer more conventional breaches. DevOps and its implications for security. Power grid cyber protection standards take effect today in North America. Swift based threats to Eastern European banks. Sprashevai is compromised. Observers still see misdirection in Gucifer 2.0. And Palo Alto takes down some Iranian cyber espionage infrastructure. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your Cyberwire summary and week in review for Friday, July 1st, 2016. The Internet of Things has occupied much of the week's news. A large botnet of security cameras has been used in distributed denial of service attacks. The CCTV bots were herded using Lizard Stressor, which incorporates both clients on hacked Linux-based machines and a server attackers use to control the clients. LizardStressor is one of the tools being used to exploit embedded devices. Medical devices are, of course, of particular concern. It's easy to fear that they might be disrupted by hackers to threaten the safety or health of patients and users. There seems, however, to be a more proximate threat. Criminals appear to be attacking them not to disrupt the devices themselves, but rather to exploit the devices as conduits into larger caches of patient information, an indirect assault on medical records and personally identifiable information. There's a large demand for that kind of data on the criminal market where they're selling for between $10 and $20 a record. Compare that to the $5 most financial records fetch, and medical records attraction to criminals becomes obvious. TrapX Labs reports observing a wave of such medical device hacks, using the venerable Conficker worm to exploit them and gain access to data. Conficker's salad days were back in 2009, but it remains effective against systems running older versions of Windows. That, unfortunately, is what a lot of medical devices run. TRAPEX calls the current wave MedJack-2 and says that attackers have used Conficker against, among other targets, radiation oncology, fluoroscopy, and x-ray systems. The goal in each case is to gain access to patient information. More conventional approaches to medical data that don't involve IoT exploitation also persist as we see in this week's disclosure by Massachusetts General Hospital that it suffered a data compromise affecting some 4,300 patients. A third party, specifically a dental patient scheduling software vendor, is thought to be the origin of the breach. The insurance sector is similarly at risk. While the quality and provenance of the health insurance data Dark Overlord is selling in the real deal dark web market remain controversial, there are reports out of India of another breach. InfoRisk Today reports that RAM Life Insurance has suffered compromise of an undetermined number of records. Third parties claim to InfoRisk today that they've confirmed the incident. The head of the Uttar Pradesh Police Cybersecurity Task Force says they'll open a formal investigation once they receive a disclosure from the affected company. We hear a great deal about DevOps and the role it can, should, or might play in security. Today we hear from two experts, eGlobal Tech's Bronco Prometica and Cybrick's Mike Kyle, to help explain what a DevOps culture is and what to expect if you transition to one.
2: You can think about it as comprised of four tenets. The acronym is CAMS: so, collaboration, automation, measurement, and sharing.
1: That's Mike Kyle from Cybrick.
2: If you look back at you know the original software development lifecycle, you had your, your development team, and then you had they handed off the application to the operations team, which really didn't understand the application from an automation uh, and deployment perspective as well as measurement and performance. They were basically just uh, order takers. So deploying code and trying to run it without really understanding the whole development process. You know, the collaboration movement of merging those two and making, you know, peer operations people think like or act like engineers and engineers to take some operations with respect to automating processes into their workflow. It's kind of merging the two worlds is probably a good way to think about it. Well, DevOps is simply referring
0: to the integration of development and operations teams when they're deploying a solution in a more automated and repeatable manner.
1: That's Bronco Prometica from eGlobal Tech.
0: So it's based upon what's called the quote-unquote lean attitude. That means that in the development process and the deployment process, uh, which is merged now, you involve all the stakeholders, just kind of the communication and open communication. There is what's called a focus on the customer, meaning that they're always involved in the process beginning to end, so no requirements, surprises, functionality, surprises arise, and also doing things right the first time. That's something that's thrown around a lot, and that simply means uh, your uh, the ability to stop the line or to stop the development process or to stop the deployment process if an issue arises and all of the people who are involved, the developers or operations people, kind of quote unquote swarm, they go to the issue, fix it immediately and keep on going. So that saves time and resources.
1: According to Bronco Prometica, there are significant benefits to adopting a DevOps culture.
0: Well, one, you step up the quality of your software engineering and your code, right? Because everybody's involved. There's constant peer reviews. Things are more automated and repeatable. So that kind of lowers time to market and also the quality of your code. Another major benefit is is that it boosts transparency and predictability in an IT uh, development effort. So nobody's caught by
2: surprise because everybody's involved.
1: Mike Kyle says there's time savings too. You
2: speed up the overall application development and deployment life cycle because everybody's involved in working together versus that somewhat contentious handoff of you know the previous years or days.
1: Of course, a shift to a DevOps culture is a culture shift, and Mike Kyle warns that organizations should expect some resistance.
2: Uh, I think it's more of you know personal fear. So if you're a, if you're a peer operations person. You maybe don't understand engineering, you might be a little bit afraid of it and that your job's going away, and vice versa. So, if you're a developer and you think, you know, I don't want to do operations, I think there, there's the extreme cases and, you know, kind of fear, uncertainty, and doubt pushback. I mean, you think you have candid conversations with them and say, look, you're going to expand your skills. You know, developer, you're not moving into pure operations. You just have to take a little bit of an operations mindset, and an operations need to take an engineering approach to things. I think that, you know, look at the way the world is moving and you want to advance your career and the company, this is what you need to do.
1: Bronco Prometica says once you get buy-in, it's important to have a plan. Something that says, okay, this is what we want out of DevOps.
0: And then I would work on developing a DevOps methodology. So get get, get your development operations teams together, make sure that they're involved in uh, the process, that they're familiar with it and it actually works for them. Uh, You wanna get your security people there as well, your business people there, so that they're all uh, up to date. Then I would select the support tool set. You need a scheduling tool for release management and for peer reviews of code, for example. You need automated testing. Once you've done all of that stuff, then I would make sure that my team is up to date on their skill sets. Do they understand all of this? Can they actually um, automate some of these processes? Do they really know what we're talking about? And then I would try out the methodology once everybody has that skill set. Say, hey, this is the foundational methodology. Let me start with a new development project and follow this process that we've established. That will allow you to actually refine your methodology.
1: It may seem slow going at first, and there may be fits and starts along the way. But Prometica believes that if you put the right systems and processes in place and take the time to properly implement them, the payoff will be worth it
0: train everybody on what this means, guide them through the process, measure success and address it. Because the first year or two of uh, of transitioning to this approach will not be an easy one because you're changing not just the process, but the mindset, the culture, uh, the procedures they've been kind of used to now for several years. And it's going to be slow at the beginning, but the payoff will be great at the end.
1: Our thanks to Mike Kyle from Cybrick and Bronco Prometica from eGlobal Tech. That's vanta.com dot slash cyber. And I'm joined once again by John Lisabor. He's the CTO at Quintessence Labs, one of our academic and research partners. Um, John, I know it's easy to think of uh, key management as just uh, the generation of of keys for encryption, but there's more to it. It it, it really is a, a larger part of of your whole security uh, framework. Yes,
3: absolutely right. So as you said, you know, key management at one level is is just the secure generation and perhaps storage of key material, perhaps the secure distribution of it, and the use of it in uh, cryptographic applications, or at least supporting the use of it in crypto applications. But there's a whole other area which is related to, um, I guess, the policies that surround the usage of key material. You know, we we have very simple policies in some cases, but some more complex. An example of a simple policy might be that an organisation decides that it needs to implement or ensure that products implement uh, algorithms of certain security strength, um, you know, like a key length, um, or that specific algorithms are in use. So you might find um, what might be called an object policy perhaps around a key would be something like you know, all objects encrypted with this key shall use 128-bit AES. An extension of that might be a a lifetime policy wrapped around a key. Um, This this key can be used for encryption, but for no longer than 30 days. After 30 days, it must be rotated out and a new key used. So that's a a couple of examples. There are very simple policies, but they're they're very important policies in that they uh, provide a guarantee in some respects of the security strength and also uh, provide a mechanism for uh, retiring keys from use when they're effectively, you know, worn out, in quotes. Probably a more complex policy, um, one that would support much richer forms of applications, might be policies related to usage of keys. So, for example, think of a key management server that supports a number of operations get a key, create a key, revoke a key, destroy a key, modify the attributes of a key, change ownership of a key, those sorts of things. Where key, when I say key I mean general purpose cryptographic object. You know a key might be a symmetric key, might be a public key or a private key, it might be a certificate even. Um, or it could even be cryptographic material that that goes to create a password. So in a general sense there I'm talking about a, a, a key as being anything of a, a cryptographic purpose related to cryptographic operations. So usage policies there might be that you might say um, a user of the system can only use a specific key if they're a member of a specific group, and the sorts of operations they perform might be limited. So we might give some users the ability to get keys and use a key for crypto purposes, such as encryption. Uh, We might say that another user, or that same user, is not permitted to destroy the key. But perhaps if we have a quorum definition, then a usage policy might say that two out of a group of five users, uh, when they both agree, then a key can be destroyed, can be removed from use from the system. So these sorts of policies uh, allow us to build very powerful applications to take advantage of a centralised key management platform for managing the security that uh, is built into the use of keys themselves.
1: John Lizabor, thanks for joining us. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With Identity Orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Returning to the internet of things security in a different sector, today marks the implementation of the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, that's NERC, Critical Infrastructure Protection, CIP V5 standards. These standards specifically address the cybersecurity of the power grid. Logarithms CTO and co-founder Chris Peterson tells us it's about time. NERC had delayed the compliance deadline by several months. Quote, the reality is that legally mandated compliance regulation is the best motivator that pushes critical infrastructure entities to improve their cyber defenses. Given the challenge of hardening legacy systems, which were never designed to withstand cyber attacks, a security strategy of rapid detection and response is paramount. End quote. We also heard from Ray Rothrock, CEO of Red Seal, who also said it's about time. He thinks delays rarely end well. Quote, As demonstrated by previous delays in the payment card industry data security standard. However, I hope the extra time means compliance and resilience is on the horizon. End quote. The NERC standard is mandated by the Federal Energy Regulation Commission. The utilities under NERC's jurisdiction serve more than 334 million people. We'll be following the effects of NERC infrastructure protection standards going forward. Turning to Eastern Europe and Central Asia, investigation into the potentially very large swift-enabled funds transfer fraud from Ukrainian and Russian banks continues. Reuters has obtained a copy of a confidential communication from Ukraine's central bank to lenders, warning them that it has seen attempts at criminal fraud and urging them to increase security and be on their guard. In Russia, the popular social networking Q&A site Sprashavai, which InfoSecurity magazine aptly compares to Yahoo Answers, has been compromised. It's redirecting users to the RIG Exploit Kit, which is installing the Smoke Loader Trojan. SmokeLoader is typically associated with credential theft and click fraud. Looking at the hack of the U.S. Democratic National Committee, most observers continue to see the hidden hand of Russian intelligence organs at work. They also regard Guccifer 2.0's hand waving as so much misdirection, although why the Russian services would go to the trouble baffles some observers, since they're hardly shocked shocked to learn that spy agencies spy. Palo Alto Networks has taken down the infrastructure used by an Iranian group to spread Infi cyber espionage tools. A welcome but probably temporary respite for those targeted. And finally, as we head into Independence Day weekend, commemorating the M-Exit of 1776, this seemed like a good time to acknowledge and thank our listeners in France. So thanks all, especially for the indispensable help we got from the Marquis de Lafayette and Admiral de Grasse during the M-Exit at Yorktown. Someday we hope to visit, and when we do, we'll be sure to say, Lafayette, nous sommes arrivés." And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
0: Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too.